Christian Widener, I thank you so much for joining us today and talking to us about um, your discoveries and the time and the research that you've put into the, the subject of the Temple Mount, the location of the temple. Um, I first heard about you through uh, actually a Joel Richardson tweet and um, ended up getting the book um, and, and love the material and the subject and the clarity that you brought to a subject that's kind of becoming a bigger deal. I would say in the world of eschatology and mm-hmm. studies and things like that, people are starting to wrestle with, okay, where is this? And, and only reason is because of the glaring problem of the Dome of Rock being in the middle of, of the Temple Mount and the possibility of a third temple being built. Yeah. And so an alternative a prop, a proposed site has also been suggested and there's different things going on and different opinions as far as the location of it. So I look forward to this discussion. And of course, uh, thank you so much for agreeing to do this. Yeah, no, thank you, Matthew. I appreciate it. So let's just get into it. So kind of what started this journey about Temple Mount? I know you love, you're a Christian, you're a believer, you love the Bible, yep. all that good stuff. So, but what, what puts you on this trajectory? So, I mean, it really was starting with prophecy and recognizing that one of the signs um, of the last days was going to be a temple rebuilt in Jerusalem. Israel becoming a nation, you know, is I think one of the primary signs that says, Hey, this really is, um, you know, the end of days, um, time period, but we don't know exactly how long that time period is. Um, real good reason to think that that's one generation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I think we're, we're right bumping up against that time period. Um, but certainly if God fulfilled his word about Israel becoming a nation again, in, in, you know, a real nation and in the way that we see it today, that certainly um, leads me to believe that the language about a temple being in the last days at that same time is a real temple. Um, and as you mentioned, the, the classic, uh, I mean, Orthodox Judaism today and most scholarly, opi- scholarly opinion would say that it was at the Dome of the Rock and Therefore, the current political climate, who knows when it'll be possible to rebuild it. Maybe it'll take a miracle, um, you know, a giant earthquake, fire from heaven. But otherwise, we don't know how it can be rebuilt. And so I accepted that. All right, that's fine. Um, except for a couple of things that then started going, uh, wait a sec, maybe there's a problem with that theory or with that idea. And one of them was um, really related to the centered around the the golden gate Um, and just looking at that golden gate. And um, I saw a rabbi do a tour and he says, look, this is the famed golden gate that was supposed to be, but it's not a modern gate. It's been rebuilt in the long place because it's in the times of the temple, the gate was directly in front of the temple. This gate is not in front of the dome of the rock. Therefore we know it's not the right gate. And so it's like, uh, okay, but what if that's not where the temple was? And anybody who kind of looks at the situation, you can see that the northern area is open. And so it's not hard from a prophecy perspective to see that, hey, well, that would be a good place to build it. Um, But it has to be the right place. Um, And that comes back from uh, the Bible in the Old Testament. God said, you know, in the future, I'm going to show you a place where you are to offer sacrifices to my name. And once I show you that place, you're not to offer sacrifices anywhere else. And that kind of has fixed the idea um, in Judaism and, and really in our sort of should be our Christian understanding because it's the Old Testament 
that there is a specific place that God says, this is where I will place my throne and the soles of my feet, where I will dwell among the, you know, the people of Israel forever, that it's supposed to be this one exact spot. And if it really is, well, then it has to be findable. Um, and so that, that all just started, you know, I started picking at how do we, where was the temple? How do we know where it should be? And one piece led to another. And like a lot of things that somehow get accepted, um, they're often not as strong as they appear. And so when you start really checking the original sources, checking why things say, you know, why people say what they say, oftentimes they're repeating the conclusions of somebody else, but it's not really a true data point. It's just a belief yeah. that gets cited enough times that it becomes a fact. Sure. Um, so, but the golden gate was just something that stuck in my craw, especially in light of Ezekiel 44 verses one to two, that says, then I looked to the gate of the outer sanctuary that faces East and it was shut and it will remain shut because the Lord, the God of Israel has entered by it. And therefore it will remain shut. So when you look at the, you know, um, the Eastern side of, of the uh, temple Mount and you see this golden gate and it's all walled up, you go, well, that's gate shut. And it's been shut for, you know, almost the, all of the last 2000 years. Um, man, that sounds like a fulfillment of prophecy. Are you sure it's not the right gate? And then I just kept pulling on that thread. And I came across Asher Kaufman's uh, proposal that the um, area under the Dome of the Spirits marked the Holy of Holies. He doesn't make this case. Like he notices that they're in line, but he doesn't, he didn't really build his case on that. He just, um, because at that time, the predominant view was that that gate was not um, an original gate. It was like a Byzantine or a Mayad gate. Sure. So there were pieces that I think were there, but they weren't connected. And so then I just kept working on saying, uh, I don't think this is just a maybe it's there. I think you can prove it was there. And, and that's, we can go more into that, but that was, um, I would never have brought a case forward that I didn't think actually you could prove like just, you know, more speculation on top of speculation on top of speculation. I don't think that moves the needle anywhere and especially coming from outside the field um, as a mechanical engineer that's you know looking into engineering i mean into archaeology and trying to apply engineering you know reasoning sure if it's not definitive it's not helpful yeah yeah i mean my whole my whole i guess question started back so it's been 10 years this year now that my first trip did well so 2011 um before that i you know i didn't i didn't even have that much interest i mean i like archaeology and history but I necessarily had that much interest in biblical archaeology per se just because i'd never seen it so actually putting mm -hmm. actually seeing stuff that's thousands of years old kind of as a way of getting a hold of you and yeah especially as americans yeah right We're <laughs> 200 years right. old is it's old for us we put a sign up if something's 100 years old mm -hmm. um for me, like, so on, you know, it kind of led to this, how would you say it, this compulsion of going back and doing more research and looking more at all the sites I could get, you know, get access to in uh, Israel and West Bank and Jordan ended up going to, I went to Saudi Arabia with Joel, um, but Egypt as well. And just kind of, I just wanted to see the archaeology. I wanted to see the world of the Bible. Um, 
but the temple issue is always of interest because it's 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 the most debated. It's like I always say with p- groups that I've taken over, you know, you stand outside the Eastern Gate, you can feel the tension, the kind of the prophetic tension, if you will, that surrounds that region. I mean, you have the graves that cover it. Why are the graves there? If it's not the real gate, if it's not the real place, there was no mm-hmm. reason to put all those graves up there by, by the Muslims. Mm-hmm. The purpose they did that is because if Messiah is a Jew, he would obviously be unclean going through those graves. And I remember I was the first, I think it was the first trip or whatever we had asked somebody about it. And, and, uh, you know, I, the response was, well, it's worked so far, you know, the Muslim <laughs> it's worked so far it hasn't come back. So, <laughs> but just looking at that, all of a sudden it's kind of, like, well, what, what, what did this look like? Where exactly was it? And of course we went to the Jerusalem museum and saw the model that was put out there. Uh, that's kind of the picture I have behind me here um, of, of that model and just kind of went from there. It became a thing of curiosity for me. I heard different people's perspectives and uh, kind of settled on the same conclusion that you do in the book that the Dome of the Spirit marks the spot. For me, kind of the linchpin in that whole thing is if it's the gate, which I think it is, makes the most sense. But if it's the gate, Josephus records that when you when he stood on the, how was it, right outside the door of the, of the temple, and you looked out across the altar, you could see straight through the gates, out through the eastern gate. So the alignment would make sense from the Dome of the Spirits. You could, if, he, if, that was, if X marked the spot, that's a perfect alignment to the eastern gate. Um, to me, that's kind of compelling. I mean, he was a priest. He, op, he, he was in the temple, came in and out of it all the time. He was an eyewitness, and he describes... From that, you could look out through that gate. Yeah, and and the Mishnah actually records that the gates were in line. Yeah. Um, and so it's it's really in, and even in the biblical description uh, in the Temple of Ezekiel, um, they're they're clearly in line. And people will say, well, but that's the Ezekiel Temple. That's not the old Temple. And then I remind people of Hebrews that says, no, remember that all the temples were earthly copies of the heavenly one. Right. Right. And so when all the temples are copying the same model, then they all have the same design. Yeah. And it's just rebuilding, um, you know, after it's been damaged. So uh, I don't think we can argue that the Ezekiel temple is different in design than the earlier temples. Bigger. It seems to be bigger. So, so uh, around it, but even the, the Holy of yeah. Holies area, That's the other true. things right in the core temple are, are the same. Yeah. Very and true. So. So talk to us a little bit about location, why you think all the temples were built. Um, you just you discussed this a little bit in your book, of course. It's kind of the, the center point of the, being the threshing floor under the Dome of the Spirits. But we, you know, we read about that David going up from uh, the city of David and going to the uh, threshing floor of Aruna and the Jebusite and buying the threshing floor. Talk to us a little bit about why you put it up on that side versus the rock that's underneath the dome. Yeah. Um, so if, if we go back to the very beginning, um, we're, we're looking at, um, Mount Moriah being a place where, um, Abraham, you know, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. God himself provided the sacrifice, but in that time, Melchizedek was living in Salem, which is the Jerusalem, which is the city of David, you know, but a thousand years before David. Right. Um, Abraham didn't go to 
the city of David to offer Isaac on Melchizedek's altar. He was nearby, but he was on Mount Moriah in a desolate place where he made his own altar. And God provided a sacrifice and he brought the wood. So like from the very beginning, we know that this place is outside of the current city of David. Um, but again, when David comes in and he conquers the, the Jebusite city of Jerusalem, um, he owns the city. He's the king. He owns everything in there, but he buys a threshing floor from Arun of the Jebusite. Well, where would that threshing floor have been? One, it had to be outside of the city because it was an actively used threshing floor, which are near the fields. Right. Um, and the fields are outside of the city. They're not. Yeah. Um, and I've got an, a neat picture in the, in the book, in the video um, on YouTube showing, you know, a threshing floor. And, and they're clearly, this is something active. This is, you know, agrarian activity that's outside of a town. So, and it says he looked up and saw the avenging angel over the threshing floor. Um, that can just be vertically up or from that site. It clearly, you know, fits the description to say up on Mount Moriah, which is really north and in elevation above him. Um, you can't prove that that's north, but it, it, it clearly fits. Um, and it has to be outside the city. That's the only place it could have been up um, from him. And then later when Solomon is uh, made king, they go down to the city of David at the Gihon spring where the tabernacle was and they anoint him. But later when Solomon builds the temple, he brings the ark up from the city of David and he places it in the temple. And all those clearly fit the configuration that you see where the city of David is today and the temple Mount and Mount Moriah up above it. And so the thing that people get stuck on though, over the city of David is, well, but where did they get the water? Yeah. And um, there, there was an extensive series of aqueducts. Solomon built giant pools. He ran uh from those pools around aqueduct lines, there are literally millions of gallons of cisterns um, underneath the, the today's Temple Mount. And uh, people try to make the argument that, yeah, but they needed living water. They were they couldn't use that stagnant water for the temple. And in the Mishnah, it describes cisterns being used to deliver water. Um, and it's also known that those tanks were connected. So they, they weren't really stagnant. They had water running into and out of them, like a mikvah, which is a, the spiritual, uh, you know, the, the baths that they washed in, the ritual bath that they were washing in. Um, that argument so, seemed fallacious in the sense that the brazen sea was stagnant water. There was no, like, connection there. Yeah, also, yes. Now, copper, interestingly, you know, so as a metallurgist and mechanical engineer, yeah. um, copper is naturally antibacterial. Okay. So a giant bronze bowl actually would have kept that water pure, okay. which is, you know, Great. whatever. It's a, a neat little yeah. aside. Sure. Um, but it, it had to be outside and, and it, well, you go, what's a threshing floor? A threshing floor was a flat area, preferably of, of solid bedrock that you would grind the grain over and the stalks to separate the wheat from the chaff. And so when you look at the dome of the rock, while it's a big piece of bedrock and it's prominently located, the thing that it is definitely not and never was is right. flat. Right. So to me, that's just completely disqualifying um, as a threshing floor. And as soon as it doesn't meet like the, 
the true obvious physical requirements of what a threshing floor is, you go, no, it's not that um, because it was never flat. So, you, you know, you're left with in the current temple mount, um, there's this giant flat area bedrock underneath the dome of the spirits. Some people have tried to say that it was a, a giant paving stone, but it's literally like 10 feet in diameter. Right. It would weigh, you know, anywhere from 25 to 50 tons and it has no purpose. Like nobody cuts a giant paving stone to just put up in the top Northwest corner of the Mount because, you know, they wanted to carry something really big up there. It's just, you know, that's not why you would do it. Um, but it was also certified or counted as bedrock by Charles Warren. And it was counted as bedrock even today by the Israeli Antiquities Authority. So it's just, it, it is bedrock. It's obviously bedrock. Um, and it's flat. If you go anywhere else, there is no threshing floor candidate. So when people say they want to find the temple, you know, well, how did Solomon locate the temple? It's, you know, the scripture says that he put the temple on the threshing floor of Aruna on Mount Moriah, the place provided by David. Yeah. And we, we understand from that, that the, the Holy of Holies was centered over that. And so, you know, that gives you a, a datum, I call it. It's a, you know, a reference point for locating where was the, basically the temple centered. And it was centered over that um, piece of bedrock. So there's only one candidate for that on the entire temple mount. And it's that place that's under the Dome of the Spirits. And if you'd be standing even today in the city of David, you know, back then there seemingly was a little bit higher of a hill. I'm not going to say it's a mountain, but uh, it was, was it the Maccabees, one of the Maccabees that excavated that down a little bit. Um, how much, I don't know, to fill in the, the uh, Tyropian or Tryphonian Valley uh, mm-hmm. a smidge. But anyway, you look at it, you're definitely looking up hill quite a bit when you're down on the bottom side of the north side of the city of David looking up, you're quite a bit downhill from that in elevation. Now, right. what about, what about just personal question? So like, if I'm guessing you've been to the garden tomb area. Um, so I didn't really go over there. Honestly, I was looking at all the other stuff. I I'm super familiar with it, Okay, but um, the, you- it's one of the places that of all the places that like, I need another six weeks you know, plus to go to all the places. Um, and I had a trip actually scheduled before all this, you know, COVID yeah. madness has kind of made it really a lot harder to get back there. Yeah. I took a group over in uh, November of that, of 2019 mm-hmm. and a couple months later lockdown. So yeah, I'm looking to get back to ANSI too. The question I had is, so if you're up there, so basically, and I'm not advocating there's some people when he's, this to advocate for something else this is just purely based on what's there there was an excavation site so the mountain the face of the of that rock face uh, Mm -hmm. was cut out for building materials for the temple at least that's that's theorized um and so you have or or really anything right i mean because there's so much building so stone is their material that's correct going from the damascus gate towards the that area uh, it's kind of a level area, and then you have this escarpment, which of course is called Gordon's Calvary, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, as a you know, hypothetical place where that Jesus could have been crucified. But on the top of that, that is technically higher in elevation 
than even down there. So if that was all connected, if you're dealing with the top of Moriah, would Moriah have possibly been, you know, it doesn't say the temple had to be on the top of Moriah. I guess the point I'm trying to make or the question is it doesn't say the top of Moriah is where the temple had to be built. It does say on the threshing floor of Aruna. Right. Uh, the, but Moriah, the top of Moriah is actually seems to be up in that area, the actual elevation top um, compared to like the Dome of the Rock, which a lot of people try to point to that the Dome of the Rock was actually like that stone was at the highest point in elevation. I'm not sure. Yeah. Based upon what I see, it doesn't look like elevation has anything to do with it because there is a higher point, uh, you know, probably a thousand, fifteen hundred yards further north. But yeah, no, and that's a good point. Like, because some people will try to say that when they're advocating for the city of David location, for example, or the Ophel area that's in between them, uh, the Temple Mount and the city of David proper, they'll say, well, you couldn't have had a threshing floor up on Mount Moriah because you never put threshing floors on the top of the peak. And the point that you're making is, is, is actually the, the evidence that that is a good threshing floor area because it's not really the top. Right. The top is much further North outside the Temple Mount area altogether. Right. And it's a great threshing floor area right. um, as, as a whole. And in fact, in, in antiquity, uh, Charles Warren mapped really the elevation of the bedrock all over that whole area so that, you know, half of what's in the Temple Mount today was not uh, something that could have been a, where the threshing floor was because it's a, it's a steep hillside. And yeah. so when you look back at those, it's really limited on how much of the Temple Mount could have been the ancient threshing floor area in the past anyway. And, and I also like try to make some diagrams in the, in the second Temple Mount video that I have. It's not really in the book. Um, I show those maps in the book and I talk about it but uh, I tried to visually present it a little bit easier to understand um, in the video. Um, but it just like, if it wasn't where that dome of the rock piece of bedrock is, then, you know, you really have very limited other areas to look. Did you, uh, have you ever been on the inside of the Eastern gate? Um, I have never, uh, no. In fact, very few people in any recent time would have been able to, um, Maybe if you, uh, you know, pretended to be Muslim because Muslims were still going in and they were doing some prayers and, and doing other things. But, uh, but basically that's been off limits for a long time yeah. I've the, never inside went, the Golden Gate. Yeah, I've never went in, but we peeked in, actually went up on top, which is kind of fun. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't know. I feel a little creepy when I get up there. Uh, it's, I don't know. It's just a weird space. But the... Uh, so in your opinion, as far as let's, let's talk a little bit about Fortress of Antonio. So this is part of this whole other theory that's out there um, that the, the entire area that we see today was actually the Roman fort and the temple was down in the city of David. But let's just talk Antonio for a bit. Do you kind of hold to the, the traditional view of it being on the corner, kind of like you see in the or the picture? Behind yeah, in that picture. picture yes. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, because what people miss when they make that argument about you had to hold a whole legion is that the legions were only there when they were conquering Jerusalem. The normal time before Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 AD, yeah. it had a cohort, yeah. which is a tenth of a legion. Yeah. And so you go, whoa, that's a whole different number. And so a, 
a fortress like what's shown there um, in that picture behind you is large enough for a cohort, which is approximately 600 people um, or 600 soldiers. Um, and 600 soldiers also supplies all of the, the demands for soldiers, like where um, Paul is, you know, needs 200 guys to go with him to keep him secure. Uh, I think that was Felix that, yeah. or somebody along that. I'm, yeah. I'm not looking at it, so I'm, I may mess up the reference, but um, but you can supply a cohort can supply all those soldier needs that we find in scripture. So there's no conflict um, with that. So to make the argument that you, it had to have had 6,000 people, um, it just isn't, I think, a, a reasonable argument. Um, there's no there's no real evidence to support that. Um, and legions as a whole were never stationed permanently, really. I mean, sometimes in some very contested areas, maybe you have a period, but they were always known, tracked, and usually they were sent around to fight wars in different places. Yeah, I also, one of the things that seemed odd to me with that argument is that, number one, Rome didn't build the Antonio. That was built by Herod. Also. Yeah, and Herod built that as a garrison for the city initially. I mean, Rome then put put a cohort in. But as a whole, it was not really built as a Roman fort to begin with. It was built as a just a city garrison. So I think like. And I mean, it was supposed to have even been a Hasmonean fortress even before yeah, that. Yeah, too. It was yeah. he built it on top of that, uh, yeah. on top of the, the Hasmonean fortress. But just that whole argument never seemed to, to resonate with just the plain facts that we have as far as the, you know, the references we have to, to where that was built and located, et cetera. Um, right. And, and then Josephus tells us that the, the legions did camp after it was destroyed. Yeah. So they were in the Temple Mount um, and, and the Temple Mount Sifting Project has evidence that that the 10th Legion was camped on the Temple Mount. Right. And you go, oh, well, see, we got it. Like, no, but that was after it was destroyed. Yeah. So after it was destroyed, yes, you had a legion hanging out in Jerusalem. And they did stay on the Temple Mount, but that's not, it wasn't built for them. It's not the Fortress Antonia. Um, it was the Temple Mount. And the area you can see right over my shoulder here, this, this area, my hand disappeared, <laughs> uh, right outside the fortress was not, best as they can tell, really inhabited. And so most likely, if there would have been more soldiers, they would have just camped out in that area. Would have been inside the wall, but in the north, right out close to the Pool of uh, Bethesda that region they could have just camped out in that area well and and actually after it was destroyed i mean they really destroyed killed or caused to flee pretty much everybody in the city yeah right so after after its destruction they had they anywhere they wanted right inhabited or not it was no longer inhabited right so so they they took they took whatever they wanted and and we have you know, archaeological evidence to dig down and, and look for that. People go, well, but then why haven't you found the Fortress Antonia? If you've, well, it's still an inhabited city. So like when you go to, you know, the ruins of Bet Shean or, you know, Megiddo or, you know, even Jericho in the places where we have the archaeological evidence, you know, the, where the, where those old cities were, there, the there aren't buildings. Yeah. The tells there aren't buildings sitting on top of them. Right that are currently being lived in. So yeah, you can fully excavate it, but everything in the old city, like it's a big deal to do any excavation at all. And each property line 
is a different permission. Right. So it's incredibly difficult to get a comprehensive, um, you know, exploration for something that was destroyed and then rebuilt upon. Especially the temple, because it is such a hot issue amongst, you know, between the Jews and the Muslims. Um, yes. Yeah. The, ironically, the, the best place to do excavation would be inside the Temple Mount. Yeah. And that's, of course, the worst, you know, <laughs> the, the place where you absolutely can't do anything. Which is kind of amazing because in the broader spectrum, Islam, as I understand it, a lot of scholars are like, well, it really doesn't have that much significance with them per se. I know they say right. it's a holy site or whatever, but it's because of, and I can't, it's Al-Quds or whatever. And some, some of the scholars say that it's, that's not even Jerusalem. So I guess we'll know. Yeah. So the furthest mosque, um, but if you read the earliest accounts of Omar, um, he, he didn't exactly conquer Jerusalem. He brought his armies there and Jerusalem surrendered under a treaty. Yeah. But effectively, you know, after that, the, the armies came in um, and they were given the Temple Mount as a place to, that they could build a mosque. And why did the Christian churches give them the Temple Mount? Because the Christian churches at that time considered that to be a Jewish place. And there was a lot of anti-Semitism even, you know, back then, um, which I don't understand, honestly. I mean, that's, it's kind of a shame and an embarrassment um, that there is so much anti-Semitism that comes from within the Christian church. Yeah. Um, because it shouldn't be that way. Um, but, but that's, you know, that's a whole separate, um, that's a separate topic, but that's the way it was treated. And it was treated as a trash dump. I mean, they would deliberately throw, um, refuse there to sort of, you know, desecrate the area. Um, and therefore they had, they did, it was one of the places they weren't living in. They weren't using, they weren't building anything. So they said, all right, fine, you can have that place. Um, and there's a whole account of them, you know, identifying the rock and where they built Al-Aqsa and why they wanted to build Al-Aqsa so that it would be south of the temple um, and have nothing to do with, with the temple itself. Um, but there was never any talk about this is the place that Muhammad ascended into heaven in that original um, discussion. It may have been and it's not there, but it really looks like that all became significant about a hundred years um, or, or less, you know, half a century to a century after Jerusalem was conquered. Very interesting. I think, um, so let me think here. So the temple was destroyed. They had built a, I saw some different diagrams and drawings. I don't think it was in your book. It might've been in Leon. Uh, what's his name? Rittmeyer's book. Um, Lane Rittmeyer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Lane Rittmeyer. The Quest. I have. I have that one. Mm -hmm. uh, but as it's far as book. yeah, so in 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 later, basically, I mean, do you kind of go along with his theory as far as the potential for the the Dome of the Rock that's there there now being built on what would have been potentially the Temple of was it Apollo? I, I always get them mixed up between the between the mythologies between Greek. Was it Apollo or was it Zeus? Uh, so it would have been Zeus at the Zeus. time that built by Hadrian. Yeah. So he builds that and then there's potential what Christian church that could have been built over that. And then maybe the Dome of the Rock built over that. Do you kind of yes. hold that kind of same? So here's, here's how I think it, it, what, here's what I think happened. Hadrian, you know, for, first they destroy the city by Titus. Yeah. Then 65, 70 years later, 
you know, all, basically a generation later, um, there's the Bar Kova revolt. And, you know, they, they still revolt again because Hadrian is trying to Romanize um, the city. And, you know, the, the Jews of that day just weren't going to stand for that. I think he was already working on making his plans to build a temple to Jupiter or Zeus um, there on that, on the temple Mount. So that really, you know, that was just too much for them to, to take. And so they revolted, but that revolt is put down. They're wiped out. Now Hadrian is free to, to really, you know, turn Romanize the city. And he tries to change the name to Alia Capitolina, which is really a reference to, you know, paganizing the city. Um, And he wanted to build a temple to Jupiter there. So the first thing you have to do in a, in a place that's been raised and the temple totally flattened and destroyed, the Roman army's been camping there periodically. So you've got all kinds of just remains and debris. You have to build a platform for the temple. So I think today's temple mount in its essence was built by Hadrian. He was the first person who really built something up there. And in that current temple, there are two places that the bedrock is incorporated in, into the, or part of the temple mount or visible of that, of, of that platform. One is in the far northwest corner, and it's perfectly flat and level with the entire platform. As an engineer, what that tells me, the bedrock doesn't accidentally get a leveled to the whole floor. So as an engineer, I recognize instantly that that flat piece of bedrock was used as the datum or the reference for the engineer who built the whole platform because he needs something to build off to set his level. And when you go and you find like a flat area of bedrock, you go, Oh, perfect. Here's my reference point. But once he built the floor, it just looks like a paving stone because all the other paving stones go up to it. And so then that's, that's the moment it became disguised. Um, But there was one other prominent piece of bedrock that sticks up out of the platform. And it's not in the center, it's just kind of off center. And you go, why would you do that? Either you're gonna break it out or you know, chip down or you're gonna go over it, but, but you're not just gonna leave it sticking up unless it has a use. And what use would a giant piece of bedrock sticking up out of your platform that was gonna build a temple, what would you use that for? You would use it for a cornerstone for your temple. And so it's a reference, that other piece of bedrock is the reference point for building your, your temple. And the other thing is for building the platform that goes around it. That's the only reasonable, logical purpose for the, for the bedrock stones that are part of that platform that we see today. Um, and you go, well, how do you know it was not the Umayyads, the Muslims who built it when they built the Dome of the Rock? And I would say, well, if you look at the Dome of the Rock, the, the um, dome is built perfectly around that Dome of the Rock. In fact, you can draw like a little diagram and you can see how concentric it's intentionally designed around the rock itself and perfectly fits around it. The dome of the rock is not in the exact center of the platform. There's no discernible alignment for that dome of the rock to the platform itself. So the, the easiest conclusion is that when they got there, the platform was already there. The, the rock is sticking up out of it. Um, and they built the building, the octagon dome of the rock structure, but the platform they did not build because it doesn't have any kind of similarities in design and alignment that the Dome of the Rock did. Um, but if you look at, the, at how a 
temple would have sat on that using the dome of the rock stone as a cornerstone, then it, it does make a natural, obvious centering and alignment for a corner of a building. Um, and furthermore, the, the dome of the rock itself has two really deep perpendicular cuts in it that look like it was part of a corner of a wall. So to me, it's like, okay, yeah, we can't prove it, but we know the history. We know those things were built on there. You can just logically deduce that that's, that that's what happened. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And the platform you're referring to is that kind of secondary platform within the greater area. The, the range, yes, absolutely. Yep. Et cetera. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, which would have probably been pretty close. The temple would have had part of that would have been leveled off at least for the temple area. Not so. Um, yes, except that the temple um, itself was raised from the surrounding courtyard, Correct. which did step down. Um, that fits the general uh, sort of terrain layout there, but we no longer have, I mean, that stuff was literally, I think, destroyed. Not one stone was left on another. Right. Um, and so you only have that base foundation stone really left. Maybe if they um, could do excavation, you could actually find the footings of, you know, some parts of the building, at the temple itself and things like that. But, um, but not without, you know, totally excavating the entire area. That's the only way you could really reasonably put that whole story together outside of just recognizing the bedrock and its alignment with the Golden Gate. So just talking, I guess we could discuss the whole Ernst Martin theory um, just a little bit. So mm -hmm. back when I had first heard it, and this was before I knew about Temple Zero. So basically, Ellie found that the first two were there in 2011, but I hadn't heard of it. But when I first heard of that whole theory, um, it was kind of like it didn't make any sense. Then when Ellie found that cult site, whatever you want to call it, um, in, in City of David, um, that made the argument a little stronger, at least for me, for a while, until I really wrapped my head around the descriptions and the things that people were talking about. One of the bigger ones for me that would kind of cemented just archaeologically is okay so the antonia it says it was the part of the wall that was exposed on the uh if i remember just reading jesse because it's been a few years so you have to forgive me but um i think it was the uh western wall that the bedrock came out of the ground and it was built off of off of that so the antonio part of that western escarpment was actually bedrock and when I did, I've done the tunnel tour a couple of times where you go along the, the whole Western wall. Tunnel. Western wall tunnels. Yeah. You get to the end. Okay. When you get up where the bedrock comes up out of the ground and the stones are no longer, there's no longer foundation stones yet. The mm -hmm. wall is continuing. That is exactly the area where the proposed Antonio fortress is at is right in that corner. You can see the bedrock coming out of the ground. So that matched I, from what I've seen based mm -hmm. on, what Josephus is describing. And then the other thing, and I forget. The and, and even on the northern part of the Temple Mount, you can see part of that escarpment yeah. also in the far north. Yep. And then if you come out right in that corner, okay, there's that little chapel. Uh, what is it called? Saint, is it St. Anne's Chapel? 
not St. Anne's. Uh, that um, has their, yeah, when there's that, go ahead. Well, it's um, it's part of the whole uh, Via Della Rosa or whatever. But mm-hmm. it's 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 a chapel that has a game board on the floor. That's a Roman game board. And I remember uh, one of the where, where they, yeah, that's where they think that actually the Romans held prisoners. And in that time, then that would have been the place that Jesus would have been held. Correct. It's, but there's a game board there that's, that looks to be Roman. It was part of a Roman game mm-hmm. that the Jews yep. would have been playing. The Roman soldiers would have been playing. So that you have actual archaeological evidence that you probably had Romans up in that area. Uh, yes. Living there. Right. You know, and with, and why wasn't... wouldn't that have been associated with the fort? Right. Yes. So to me, when I saw those things, it just was like, well, I mean, I don't know. It, it makes that theory a lot less, you know, logical, I guess. And then on top of that was the excavation that's taken place. So on the southern steps, that whole area got excavated in the subsequent years, and there was nothing there as far as it was all houses, mikvahs, etc. You keep yep. going down the Ofo on the other side of that street, right where the right where Martin proposes the temple to have been. Mm-hmm. Uh, that it would have been the west northwest corner of where he would propose the temple had been. It's full of houses, right? Full of houses. There's no yeah. foundations there. So to me, it would just totally blew that theory out of the water. If you keep going down to Temple Zero, that's too far south. Uh, yep. based and, upon the the distances that Josephus says that the tunnels or not the tunnels the bridges were that went between the Antonia fortress and uh, the temple so it just right. doesn't, the archaeology isn't there no and and people look at there are some in that book um, and others have you know de- developed that further but they have these amazing artist renditions that make it really look plausible yeah right. except that the things are drawn are based on absolutely zero archaeological evidence. Right. It's not like, you know, there's an artist rendition of the Robinson's arch bridge and you go, wow, man, that would have been so awesome to see that. And, and that's on, of course, on the um, Southwest um, corner of the, of the temple Mount. But when you go there today, you can see the little bit of the arch um, coming up out of the wall. Um, of the Temple Mount, and you can see the bottom base of that arch um, also down down below there. And so when they draw an artist rendition, you have the two connections of the arch, and they're just filling in, you know, the rest of the bits that, that were destroyed. That's a very reasonable way to do an artist rendition. But when you just fancifully create a drawing that looks like it's plausible, except that there's nothing that supports it, that just, you know, like um, it makes it feel solid and really it's not. What is your, so what is your take on, on Temple Zero? You um, think so because it, it excite? The, the area I've been into the area that you're talking about the thing that they think is Melchizedek's yeah. sacrificial site. Yeah. So I have actually been in there. Um, it's not open to the public, but I was able to get, um, yeah. Get I've been taken in there, in there. I've been in there twice, which is kind of okay. Like, yes, yeah, so you've been in there. Yeah. Um, it's a real site. It's from approximately you know 2000 BC, as best they can they can tell dating wise. You're in the city of Salem. It's a sacrificial site. Uh, it's not like everybody's got their own little sacrificial site. So to me, then you go, oh well, it's very reasonable to connect that to Melchizedek because you at the right period of time, 
it's the right place, it's the only one, that's it. Um, so I'm comfortable with saying that, that it was a sacrificial site and that it is very significant and it's a great biblical find to support what we're, we're told. But there's nowhere that tells us that the Bible was, you know, that the temple in the Bible that was, tells us the temple was built where Melchizedek used to offer sacrifices. Correct. So it's just like, yeah, it's a wonderful find, but, and even Eli Shukran who found it will say, yes, but this has nothing to do with the temple. This is just Melchizedek era. Yeah, Um, I I totally agree with that. Just, and I think it's one of those unique things, you know, God does things in unique ways and for unique purposes. I think it's interesting that, you know, you have Melchizedek, there's different theories of who he could have been. At the very least, he was a type and shadow of, mm-hmm. of Messiah or Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, there's different theories out, out there of who he could have been. But it is interesting to me that something seemingly, seemingly sanctified, seemingly uh, in the worship of God existed that many thousands of years ago. Now, did you, uh, what was your thought about the standing stone that they found in there? Any, any thoughts on that? No, no, not, not in particular, like not what is, what are the meaning or the purpose and, and did it have any kind of deep significance? Um, so there, Ellie, uh, but are, are you talking about another stone? Like there's a, also a temple that they found, I think, uh, in a tell. Yeah, I've been in that one too. That's down in Tellerod. No, yes, this Tellerod. Is, this is, um, no, what they have is it's in the metal box. So when you're down in Temple Zero, there's a metal box. Okay. And I don't know. Was that open? Did you see inside that? I don't know that I, I don't know that I saw that. Okay. So I remember the box. I don't know that I've seen the the stone inside the box. Part of it. There's a dispute between Ellie and the IAA, which, um, so he has the key to the box. So he only lets himself or close friends open up and look at it. But I was not with Ellie when I saw it. Okay. It's a, so it's like the the big to him it's the biggest deal because it's a standing stone in um in a in a site like that now the reason where he connects it i don't know if you can make an argument i mean it's interesting so is jacob's headstone oh so he so, thinks, he thinks because jacob says wherever the stone is there will be the house of god okay bait uh bait l yeah um, house of god so basically it's ellie's hypothesis that the stone could have been jacob's headstone and it was set inside of the temple and set up because of what it's what it signified i have no idea i mean it's just a yeah for me that would be pretty speculative um especially since we know that it became a pagan city in between the time of melchizedek and and the time that that david conquered it so you have a thousand years of ritual practice, which could have continued. Um, however, becoming pagan under the Jebusites. So, you know, it's like, mm, I, I don't know about that. <laughs> yeah. I don't um, know. It's interesting. It's interesting. The thing that would make it interesting to me, if you think about it and it's somewhat off topic, but it's a fun little rabbit trail. So Jacob was coming from Beersheba mm-hmm. and you know, uh, Bethel or Beit El, the traditional site is a couple miles north of Jerusalem yet. He would have had to literally come from Beersheba past Jerusalem because he'd come up the central mountain route up the central ridge and on past Jerusalem, another, what is it, 11 miles, something like that, to get to Bethel. 
for the night. That's a tremendous amount of distance to cover in the ancient world. So what if, here's the what if, what if mm-hmm. the Bet L or the Bet L that, that Jacob was referring to was actually the city of, you know, ancient Jerusalem? Yes, except it's called Luz also. Yeah. So, you know, and we have, um, the, it's also associated with Shiloh because yep. Shiloh, we're told, is, was near on the north side of Bethel. And so, like, and we know that we did have a tabernacle at Shiloh. Yep. And so um, th- th- it's confusing because in Jewish tradition, the, the place of Bethel and the place of Mount Moriah are the same in some in, in the way some rabbis write it and talk about it. Yep. Um, but I don't think they were. I think it's more uh, reasonable to, to count Shiloh um, as a place that was for a while, um, but not it was not the same place as Abraham uh, offered Isaac. But that, that, that basically they were different, that that is a different place. And that could easily be, you know, it is what it is as far as it is. And it's hard to prove. Right. But the thing that kind of got me thinking on that whole thing is the amount of distance he would have had to cover to come from Beersheba all the way up north of Jerusalem in one day, because he left in the morning and that evening he laid down and had the dream about the ladder going to heaven. So he would literally would have had to got, that's a pretty good amount of distance. I can. Yeah. Do you know how many miles? Let me look at it here. Uh, let me see here. It's a trek and a half. Of course, he could have been riding something too. Mm-hmm. Just yeah, but even flies. even on an animal, it only takes you can only cover so much, so many miles in a day. Forty-four miles. Um, weather. Forty-four miles to Jerusalem. Yeah. But to but to Bethel or to Shiloh. From there, even uh, further than that. Yeah, yeah. Let me look here. Another 14 miles. Mm-hmm. So you would have been yeah. 60 mile day. I mean, maybe they could have done it, but to me, That's that kind of made day. to me that kind of made the Jerusalem theory semi plausible because of the distances mm-hmm. involved. But anyway, yeah, no, I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that it's not possible. Certainly in the in the days of the ten tribes they took that as a place that was outside of Jerusalem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Well, right? because of And Jericho, so, so you go, well, yes. But so did they just create that spot or was that really, you know, the spot that was separate? And, and clearly Shiloh was different. Yep. So they look to be connected. So it looks like it's a different spot. Could, could it have been a multi-day journey that actually just uses the language in the morning and then in the evening because he got there in the evening, but it's actually the second day. Um, it, those are, you know, those are d- debatable. Like you can defend a couple of different ways to, to try to look at it. Um, I haven't really tried to solve some of those dilemmas as much as the, just the exact, like, can we really say where the lack exact location was? Yeah, but I, I like those. I mean, they're all good to wrestle with because they're all also related to the reliability re- reliability of the scriptural account themselves. Yeah, it's the only reason it would be potentially significant is because of the dream that Jacob had. So mm-hmm. you know, he saw the ladder going between heaven and earth, angels ascending and descending, 
Yes. You know, one standing at the top that would appear to have been, you know, a pre-incarnate Jesus or whatever, uh, speaking to him. Of course, it was a dream. I understand that. But still, if it was actually Jerusalem, it was affirming the sanctity of the location. Yes. Uh, as opposed to Beit El in the north, which Beit El, to me, like the Bethel in the north, most likely was just Jeroboam's creation. And of course, in Hebrew, Beit El just means house of God. So he was creating a house of God. for the Yes, Lord. and could have just given it that name. Correct. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and there's more, yeah, plenty of reason to suspect that regardless. Now you, now you would understand, like, again, you would probably affirm that the foundation stones that go around the Temple Mount, the Herodian, what they call Herodian stones, you would concur that those would be Herodian as well? Or do you think those came as being rebuilt, et cetera? Um, so the, the next book I'm working on is Finding Solomon. Okay. Um, I'm confident that those big stones are Solomonic, not Herodian. Interesting. So that's a whole other can of worms. Originally, I had that in the book um, to to tackle the Solomon issue and the temple issue all at once. So the margin, you think the the stones with the margins are actually Solomonic? Solomon. Yep. What about... And everybody who visited Jerusalem prior to the middle 1800s would have said that. It's only modern archaeology that that started to question that idea. So it isn't aware it, of that. Yeah, that's a whole new and and that would be, I'm completely in the minority on that. I don't know anybody who's trying to prove that those stones are Solomonic and not Herodian. That would just it's laughable um, from a how can you think that all of the consensus opinion on this is wrong? I'm like, well, because it is. <laughs> <laughs> um, battle. I applaud you. <laughs> yeah, but but you that has to be very well supported. So like I can just kind of make that wild claim. Um, the book is will be to actually assemble all the evidence and show how plausible that really is. Interesting. So what about you? So, I mean, OK, we, we don't know for sure, but up in but Gezer, it's original. It's old. It's not. Yeah, it's yeah, not yeah. the. So it's second temple or earlier. It's definitely none of that stuff is later. No way. So like you probably have heard of the three chamber gates, which would one being Gezer and yep. Gezor and mm-hmm. uh, oh, what's the other? City? Megiddo. Megiddo. Hatsor, Gezer, and Megiddo. Yeah. So those all, if that's Solomonic, those stones look a little bit different or smaller than what have been at the temple though. Absolutely. And the simple answer for that is, you know, when you have time and resources, right? Are you going to put, it takes a lot more effort and money and time to build stones like in the Temple Mount than to the rougher stones. Like everything is sort of relatively rough when it's cut up, cut. And then you have to finish it further and further and further. You finish with in a fortified city, yeah. are you going to really spend all that time and money to beautify something, beautify something to the level of your temple and your palace that competes with the house of God and with the king, or are you going to just use a lower quality of craftsmanship to build that? Um, he also had 80,000 stone cutters. Do you think they were all able to do the quality of work that was required for the temple? And the... no, I don't think so. So then you use your lower quality craftsmen, lower skilled craftsmen to do the rough work, right? And you use your best craftsmen in your capital city. 
So, so the size, in your opinion, the size of the Solomonic platform would have been the same as what we see now? Yes. It was only, um, in fact, like even when people talk about Herod, where did Herod learn how to build? Uh, he just had a stupid amount of money, but mainly well, Rome. He, he, he did, <laughs> but he went to Rome. Yeah. He went to Rome, was inspired by what he saw and came back and then started building projects in Israel and 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 uh, you know his surrounding area that was under his control. Um, if you look, if you you've probably been to the Herodian, yeah, Masada, uh, Caesarea by the sea. Yep. What kind of stone is there? Yeah, but what about the cave of Machpelah or Machpelah down in Hebron? So Hebron matches, yes. So then, who who does that mean? Built Hebron according to the theory <laughs> gotcha. it means it means it goes all the way back to solomon interesting and that's an area that was never destroyed so it's basically preserved in in its full splendor with modifications and other things over time that's a very interesting theory very interesting so thanks um for the, thanks for the tantalizing uh tidbit yeah to that book so Solomon had 150,000 men cutting and hauling stone around Jerusalem and for his temples and palaces for 20 years and all over Jerusalem in the area. I mean, all over Israel in that area for 40 years. And you can't find him. Like, no, he's slapping you in the face everywhere you look and it's just been misidentified. Wow. Well, that, that, that is quite the theory. That's, so anyway, that got, my, that got my wheels turning. So there's, yeah, there's, there's a lot there. Like um, there's so much evidence for it that it's, uh, it's just taken me a lot longer to so put Solomon's, together. Solomon's stables maybe were not mis, misquoted. No, right. I mean, the pools of Solomon that, yeah. that, that, um, that where they, where the aqueducts come from. Yeah. That was him. Um, you know, the Western walls, the Western stone and the Western wall tunnels, 500 tons. Like, you know, maybe it's 400 tons. I mean, you know, so we don't know the exact dimensions for the width. Right. <laughs> but I mean, it's giant. It's huge. Like, so, that's a, it's a monumental work. The aptly, the aptly named Solomon's Portico as well. Yeah. All right. And that. Interesting. yes. And, and then so, the double gate that preserves portico that goes up towards the temple mount. Right. Um, it I'm actually, there's an underground tunnel yeah, and a ramp and it comes, the ramp comes out just North of Al-Aqsa today. Yeah. But that would have been um, then followed by another portico that would have been over that ramp. Like if, if you didn't have another portico over it um, back in ancient times, it would have rained and, and it would have filled up that ramp. So you had this underground portico followed by an above ground portico that would have led to the 500 cubit square or 400 cubit square. If people want to argue, you know, over which, which one it was, because there seems to be, you know, accounts that talk about it being a stadia or 400 cubits versus 500. To me, that's not a huge core. That's not a defining issue. That's an interesting issue, but it's not a defining issue, but either way, you have the space for a portico that would have led up to the temple, which then if you follow that double gate down, it goes down the double steps 
the Pilgrim's Way and that, that pathway goes all the way down to the Pool of Siloam. Yep. And so, you know, that that was the whole Pilgrim Road yep. that led all the way up that people would go up to the temple and it's still there. And, it, and so like, yeah, that was Solomon's portico. I'm, I, you know, That's pretty as much as you can reasonably prove, we're looking at so much of the original stuff that has just been, um, you know, one of the reasons why they don't believe that the Temple Mount I mean, I'm giving some of the book stuff away that I haven't even finished putting together. But, um, <laughs> that one of the mind. reasons, one of the reasons why they call the Temple Mount um, that they started believing it wasn't was because of Robinson's arch, and they go, "Oh, the Jews didn't know how to make, you know, Solomon didn't know how to do an arch, right? That wasn't invented. That was invented later by the Greeks or Romans, and so you know, it can't be Solomon. It must be Herod." Yeah, right, because the earliest arch is up in that I know of is up in Tel Dan, the, the Canaanite arch up there. Yeah, you ever seen the, that one up there? Abraham's. Camp. I haven't. Mm -mm. That's the oldest arch that I know of. That's uh, that would have been Abraham's time. So it was a Canaanite okay. city in the north that he visited. It's called Abraham's Gate. Uh, it's a Canaanite era. It's kind of it's similar to have, have you been to Ashkelon? Um, I have so I not yes, but not. To the tour, the stuff they're there. Not the I haven't channel. seen the ruins. No. Okay. There's another arch there as well that would have predated anything that's out there. Yes. So that would it basically means Canaanite, Canaanite era stuff that would have gone back to the days of uh, the early or late bronze, I believe. So it would have predated Solomon. So of course yeah, he could the, have looked right. at those examples. Yeah. That that's that's a really good example. Um, yeah. And so, but how did those ideas? in the middle you had the enlightenment going on you had a lot of anti-semitism yeah. they had already decided that you know all culture all western civilization came from the greeks and the romans right and it's just to attribute that back further to jews or you know to some other earlier it just wasn't that wasn't a popular idea and so it's just one mistake leads to another and it's solidified this idea that it was Herod, but it just, Herod didn't have that kind of manpower. Everything else he built, there's no, you know, similar structure. In fact, if you go to the Herodian, you'll find this really cheap stone that's plastered over and the remnants of the plaster you can see were carved to look like yeah. the temple right. stones. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, he's he's copying. He's pretending. He is not the big... He wants you know. to be Solomon again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Very interesting. I'm going to so, share a screen here so you can see the gate. Sorry, this is, okay. I just pulled this Yeah, off. yeah, go I ahead. I have plenty of pictures here. Um, yeah. This is what I'm talking about. So this gate is up in the northern, uh, up in Tel Dan. It's Canaanite era. Okay. It's all mud brick. And then this is the arch. Now they filled oh, it in with, they filled it in with mud to preserve okay. it. Yeah. Um, see if you can, this is kind of a, Artist rendition. another rendition of it that's basically and this is mm -hmm. this is uh late bronze yeah what a great site so, yeah nope haven't been there but so i said like i i need i mean if if i could i'd move there and just spend a year you know let's do it <laughs> <laughs> me too so i've i've been fortunate enough three trips i i spent um around a month and then the other other three trips i spent two weeks but it's kind of fun i've um yeah, anyway, I, I'm an explorer type, so generally go rent a car, drive around. So I don't know, normally go on the organized organized trips. Those are yeah. 
those aren't as no much. yeah no sometimes but um mostly yeah i will i want to be free to to poke around <laughs> and not on a like okay you got 15 minutes right use the restrooms now quickly run mm-hmm. um that's fascinating that actually would answer a lot of interesting questions if that would hold hold holds true so yeah and and it it really then totally obliterates any other idea that it's where it was right um the uh but it i just i didn't think that that was needed for the temple case based on the evidence that's there but it makes the temple case even stronger oh absolutely um the the other thing is uh, speaking of like the big stones inside the golden gate um i haven't been in there but there are archaeologists who've been in there there are pictures of these two massive uh megalithic gatepost stones that are in line with the eastern wall and are set to the level of the eastern wall courses and each one one is like 11 feet tall the other one's about 15 feet tall um, and they're the size of the stones at Stonehenge, <laughs> right? So you go like, no, this is an ancient gate. It's it's the only gate in the Eastern Wall that goes back to, you know, Second Temple time periods. There's some that look like they've been cut in. This is clearly an original gate. It's part of the oldest section of the wall. Um, Lean Rittmeyer in his book says, Look, this is the only possible location for the Shushan Gate. He still believes the temple's in the um, where the Dome of the Rock was, and he reconciles that by saying, "No, it's it's a mistaken interpretation of the Mishnah to think that the Eastern Gate, the Outer Eastern Gate, was in line right. with the temple." That's his argument. To, but if you read other passages of the Mishnah that he that he's not talking about. They clearly say all the gates, all the way to the outer eastern gate, were in line. Yeah, I found the reference here, the monolithic gate posts in the Rittmeyer on his website. He's got a diagram of it. Yeah, so he he's he knows and agrees that that is the original, you know, Shushan gate. Ah, and so, okay, and here he points out Iron Age masonry, and the diagrams he have is with the margin design. Yeah, so so I, to me, that gate, in its essence, is an original Solomonic gate. I also point out in Nehemiah, when he describes rebuilding the walls, he doesn't say that the East Gate was rebuilt. He says the keeper of the East Gate helps to rebuild some portion of the wall, but not that the East Gate re- needed repair itself. So I, I think you've got pretty good reason to believe that that actually is all the way back to a Solomonic gate. Yeah, this is what I'm looking at right here. So this is the diagram he has. So mm-hmm. Monolithic gate post you're referring to. And then he says yeah. masonry, which if you look at it, that's that's the margin design. Yes. And then over yeah, here, that he is the ancient outer eastern wall. So, yeah. Now, the confusing thing about that masonry in general is that there are several different styles. Some are really fine and some are a little rough. But there's a category of the stone that are all basically, you know, like very finely cut in terms of dimension and fit up, but the faces are different. Some are rough, some are, you know, are not, but they're all the kind of stone that, you know, is, is of this very large size and all fit together without, you know, mortar. They're just, they're just perfectly placed together. Um, 
And so I think the logical conclusion is that different styles of stone were made um, for different reasons. And some things were covered, some things were below ground. Um, there may have been other you know, discernible reasons. If you saw the whole thing together, you go, oh yeah, that's why you made that. But to me, to say that just because they're cut different, that means they were totally different craftsmen. Like, no, I see more different purpose, not different craftsmen. Okay. Yeah, that would make sense. So, now, do you believe the facade that's there that would have been later, later period type stuff? Or we look, or do you think so up all the stuff up above? Yeah. You can see, like, a lot of it is from the era of Suleiman later. Um, and some of it's Crusader um, era. Like, yeah, you have other stuff, but a lot of that was built up. Um, and I think if you look at the big decorated ashlers, they, they don't go up very high. Um, Josephus talks about Solomon left it open. And then later people, you know, enclosed it, something like that. You also don't know how much was destroyed and rebuilt. Um, but it's, it's very possible that he didn't need it to go because he had the full depth down below, right. like subsequent invasions and other things brought dirt and they carried up dirt against it as they made sieges. And so then now it's, you know, but that Western wall tunnel, pretty sure all that was visible at one time. Sure. So back in Solomon's day. So then you go from there all the way up to the end of the, uh, what's called the Herodian Ashlers is still really, really tall. So, so people could have continued to raise the walls for defensive purposes and other things. But the ground level, we know because you have the, the double gate and you have the ramp. So that sets the level near the southern portion. And we have the bedrock on the north to show you where that level was. So the, the levels are about the same inside. Uh, but, but the outside walls, yeah, there's some room for, for debate over where those were fully in the ancient times. How much was destroyed? How much had to be rebuilt, etc. So you're basically saying... I mean, Herod probably built up those walls to, you know, however high it was then. But in Solomon's time, it wasn't enclosed uh, with high walls. It would have just been ground level. That's what you're saying, basically? I I think something like that. He had probably, like, you know, I think actually his palace was up there. And so he probably had gardens. He could walk out and he could probably look over. It kind of makes sense because of the amount of space on the uh, south side of of the plaza you'd have enough room to have a whole big old house up there. Yes. And, and the, um, the, the base level of that is lower than the Northern part where the temple would have been. And so you also wouldn't want anything to obstruct, you know, the view of the temple either. Right. And so, but then over time, yeah, they could have added things and he built a stoa and he built other. So then, but you're building on the foundations that are below you. Right. So, to say that he built up that other area, people read that to mean he built the entire foundations. But I think, uh, and in the book, I'm working on pointing out the, the subtle differences of what he says Herod did and what he attributes to Solomon. And there are some real key shifts that I think people have missed. Yeah, that's very interesting. No, it makes a lot of sense to me, just listening to it and seeing it a bit of of course, I've been around the, the blocks and all that a lot. I've seen right. what act does actually make a lot of sense to me. So, and, and one other big piece of data 
is the Temple Mount in its volume is larger than the Great Pyramid of Giza. Yeah. So like when people think about the manpower that's required to do that, nobody had that kind of manpower except Solomon. Right. It's just, you know, they go, oh yeah, he did this and he did that. Like, no, no, no. This is a huge project. And even the Herodian that's built up, that's a big project, but you can see it doesn't have the workmanship. Yeah. Not even close. Yeah. So, no, and mean, Masada, I, yeah. neither. Masada, role. same thing. Yeah. Of course, we don't really see the ruins down at Jericho. It would add a palace down there as well. But as a, even Caesarea, it's not really, he's more utilitarian in some ways. Right. And Jericho had what they call Hasmonean ruins, yeah. which then I would also propose actually were remnants of uh, Solomonic ruins. So he was just going over top in a lot of ways. Very interesting. Yeah, because everybody built on top of the old foundations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. True. Right? And it's very easy to attribute it to the later builder than the earlier builder. Correct. Very interesting. Well, we've got a few minutes left. And I need to let yep. you go. Um, let's shift a little bit to uh, eschatological. So I know you have some opinions, at least on your website. I know you, you do more than just oh. the location, but just as far as how do you see the importance of this playing out in the last days. Like in your mind, do you believe that there's going to be a third temple built as a precursor to the Lord's return? Or do you, you know, yeah, I, that I do. a little bit for us. And, and not everybody, <clears throat> um, not, not everybody would agree that the church will see a rebuilt temple. Um, but based on second Thessalonians, um, where Paul says concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, let no one deceive you in any way for that day will not come until the apostasy comes first. And the man of lawlessness is, is revealed um, who basically sets himself up in the temple of God and declares himself to be God. Yep. Um, so to me, that's, that's a clear, we're going to see the abomination of desolation. And that's, that's part of one of the signs to watch for, which means there has to be a temple um, I, I'm not at all opposed to rapture right now. I mean, I'll take you know, it. If it comes. I, I, I will take it. I just, <laughs> I personally don't think that's what Paul was trying to tell us. Um, I think he was trying to tell us. Um, and I would connect that to Matthew 24 yeah. and the signs to watch for. And, and, and I have a connecting the dots um, about the rapture blog post where I kind of explain that the scriptural position for that in detail. Um, but even if you said it's tribulation saints that are going to see it, uh, it's still a warning for the church that this is, you're going to, you're going to know it's the antichrist when he sets himself up in God's temple. And to me, that means the Holy temple, not a pagan temple. Right. So like, and it could be a general reference to the whole temple Mount. That's possible um, that he'll somehow he'll do some ceremony on the temple Mount itself and that that's what's being referred to. But I, I don't think so. I think it's going to be a real temple. See, I look at those verses and uh, what I see, I'm, I'm, you know, a lot of that speculation because we're not there. We don't know. But the, I'm not saying what you're saying. I'm just saying in general, mm -hmm. people speculating over the, you know, oh, exactly. But what I see in Second Thessalonians, I think that's important is it says as God, you know, standing in the temple. So as God in the mind of Paul would have been the God of Israel. Not just mm -hmm. a pagan god or a pagan deity or whatever, 
because some people right, draw, also yeah yeah so some people draw comparisons to like Antiochus or you know Antiochus it, and and the whole thing that happened back there with Apollo being in there but the thing is it's talking about uh, in his mind he's saying as God which means the God of Israel so as I understand yep. whatever takes place whoever it is he's going to stand in the temple of God and claim to be God the God of Israel yeah yeah um, and Antiochus of course was two hundred years before Paul's writing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he would have known, you know, he would have mm -hmm. known the nuance in that as well. The yeah. uh, Do you see the potential building? I mean, I know there's a lot of different theories out there. I've seen, you've probably been through the Temple Institute, seeing their drawings and stuff mm -hmm. they've got ready, where they would be on the north side of the, of the Dome of the Rock and, you know, build their temple back up in that area. Is that kind of what you would see playing out potentially? Something like that? Or do you think maybe more like a tabernacle kind of a deal? Oh, you know, I, the intense desire is for it to be a real temple. So I think there's every intention of building another, essentially a stone-based temple, just like what they can. Um, as far as what could meet that criteria, it, a tabernacle could certainly even be set up temporar temporarily. Um, it, you know, it could be. Um, I... I've discovered for, you know, I've, I've way better at comparing what's actually happened to, yeah, sure. you know, the Bible and going, okay, Hey, yeah, look, this fits. Um, I, I am very aware that my ability to imagine how God is going to fulfill his word is, is limited. Um, and so, you know, that's why we have to keep an open mind about, Hey, this could be fulfilled this way. It could be fulfilled that way. If, when you're, when we're imagining what could happen, it's not what we prefer would happen. Yeah. It's what could happen that if it did, and you looked at the scripture, you'd go, okay, yep. That reasonably fulfills it. And so check that's, that's complete. Um, not, you know, cause it's not incomplete if it didn't happen the way I wanted it to happen. It's only incomplete if it doesn't actually meet the, the requirement of, of what's in scripture. And so um, I think there's, there are several things that could, that could fill that. But because of my, you know, feeling and belief that it would be a real temple and that that real temple would be in the original spot. Okay. I wanted to understand where the temple really was sure. so that at least we could settle that question. And then the future we get to, you know, I mean, you know, we get to sit down and watch with excitement. How is God going to do what he said he would do? Yep. Um, and he's already done a lot of the things that he said he would do. So, you know, I'm expecting him to finish, you know, what he started and what he said he would do. And so, you know, I'm, I'm confident something's going to happen. And if we keep those things in mind of what the scripture really says, we'll know it when we see it. Right. Yeah. Or we should. Right. And we, maybe we won't like the Pharisees didn't see the Messiah standing in front of them. But hopefully, you know, we will because we'll we'll know the word and we'll be looking for him to fulfill it in some way, not, not necessarily the way that we though expect. Yeah. There's a lot we don't understand, but of course we wait with anticipation. So yes. Uh, one more question. It's, it's unrelated, but I saw on your website, you have a picture with you standing in and looks like in front of a calf golden calf altar there. Oh yeah. So you got to go. I did. I did go, um, a couple of trips. Once I was denied, um, yeah because like the 
it was just the weekend where there were a lot of Bedouins around and man, when they're around, they're pretty enthusiastic about stopping you from hanging out there. So, um, that was just, you know, it was just not and like, okay, God, I guess this isn't the time, but I was able to get close to a few things. Um, but I did get to go with Joel, um, on a hiking, uh, excursion and got to the top of Sinai, um, in October, I guess, 2019 or something like that. Yeah. That was um, there. So were you there? After, okay. After so, the trip? so I was in the group that, that went after right the after. tour left. So you were in yeah. the hotel right out. Yeah. I yes. was in the bus and you were in the hotel. How nice. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So we crossed, <laughs> we just crossed paths. Yeah. Because I, I flew in for work gotcha um, yeah, and sure. uh and went early and did that trip and then uh went and did some real work um in the country in the kingdom after that Very nice. uh but it was yeah that was an amazing experience I've, i i'm in reasonably good shape but not like awesome shape um uh one of the guys on the trip was you know he like competes in a triathlon and stuff so he was you know, and he's a year older than me. Um, so he was making me look bad. Uh, Cause he's like, you know, come on guys, hurry up. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I made it, I, I survived with some help from the Lord. I think, um, you know, one more step because so, it's hot. I mean, climbing with oh, a pack yeah. and in that heat, it takes it out of you. Yeah. It's, it's real. That's for sure. And what was your, what is your thoughts? Do you think that's the real location, et cetera? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's like seeing all the things that fit the accounts of scripture. I mean, you can literally walk out the entire um, sort of Exodus story um, there. You can see a really viable crossing site, um, the springs that they visited. Um, they still, uh, you know, locally call them the springs that Moses visited the Midianite um, village, the, the well that, that, you know, yeah, is mine. reported where, yeah, that, that, uh, Moses, you know, met Zipporah and you can look up and you can see the mountain from there. Right. Um, it's within, you know, a reasonable goat distance. They still take goats up to that mountain. Mm -hmm. sure. Um, so it's just, there's so many things about that place that fit the description Mount Sinai in, in the Sinai peninsula really doesn't have hardly any of those things. Right. Um, and it certainly doesn't match it in any reasonable fashion. Um, there is a mountain in Saudi Arabia that technically is probably just outside of the true, I mean, it's within Israel, but it's actually, I think you can argue that it is outside of the promised land as defined and it's Har Karkom. Yeah. Yeah. Clearly a pagan site. Um, it's outside. It probably was visited by the Israelites during their 40 years wandering in the wilderness, but that does not make it, um, so, you know, it doesn't make it Mount Sinai. So one of the things nobody talks about, and I think it's quite, it's actually an important connection, but you know, we'll wrap it up here. It's just fun to sure. connection. So, uh, one of the, one of the interesting things in Jordan and, and none of the people, none of the guys talk about it. I don't know why, but if you go up to, um, so the, the, in Jordan, they have a Mount Hor. Of course, the Jews think it's in Southern Israel. Uh, that's a traditional site, but, the uh, the Muslims hold that Mount Hor is there just south of Petra. It's one of the peaks there. They have a little okay. 
little thing on top of the mountain you can hike up to it etc but they call that wadi wadi musa and there's a spring there okay that they call um meribah not not the split rock but the second instance okay um, so the tradition is even in in those regions that they came up through there, which we know the Bible says they went up to and then asked to pass through the borders of Eden, which the Southern end of that would have been um, there in Petra. So they went up into that area would have asked permission to cross. They said no. So they had to go around. Um, mm-hmm. But it's just a local tradition that's readily accepted in that area. Of course, archeologists have, have a field day, but yeah. it actually lines up with the Jabal Allah's, Sinai fit theory because they would have gone straight north through Wadi Rum, which I've been Wadi Rum a couple of times. So okay. through Wadi Rum and on the other side of Wadi Rum, you basically, as you're going north, you're going to get to, if you're going to go to the capital of Edom, you're going to go to Petra and you're going to, you know, it just fits what the Bible talks about. And then he died mm-hmm. before they got there and the mountains are right before you would get to Petra. It's right there. So I don't know. Yeah. It, so, so again, my- like a, an Exodus site, but, you know, and it has an association with Mount Sinai, but not necessarily because it really was, but, but it's still, it's still one of the real places they went to. Well, no. The, or you think it was Sinai? No, I'm not saying is I think, yeah, Jebel Laws is Sinai. Yeah. I, yep. I, or Makla. Sorry. Yep. Yeah. Makla. Yeah. As to, oh. to be very precise. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Makla, and then as you go north, you know, the, the way the Bible describes them going after mm-hmm. the after whatever they went up, and Kadesh Barnea most likely is probably just south of Petra, most likely if you if okay. you understand where they would have been at, and mm-hmm. that is similar to the traditions that they have that there's the water there's a spring there and there's a thing built over it whatever that this is the spring of Moses and then the wadi that leads to Petra is called the wadi of Moses or wadi Musa okay. And mm-hmm. then Mount Hor is right there. So where okay. they say Aaron died. Now this is Muslim. Tradition. I gotcha. It, yes. the cr- Christian tradition would agree with the traditional site being over in Southern Israel. Uh, oh, I got gotcha. potentially okay. Mount, Mount Hor. I'm just saying Be- because of the March from Sinai. Correct. In the Sinai Peninsula. That's yeah. correct. So they say it's impossible for the Jordanian site to have worked, but it's with, the, Oh, I gotcha. Yeah. Does it make sense? So yeah. Yeah. I'm following, you know, sorry. No, that's just, to me, it's just more evidence that it was totally plausible. Uh, yeah. We would have gone straight up from Sinai and it's not, not that far. I mean, you could drive it today and probably two hours, something like that. So. Right. Well, and I, I suspect that Petra is actually much older than they, than they admit either. That You're I would. As far would, as the carvings, like the tree. Yeah. Right. That it's older than Nabataean. Okay. So <clears throat> if you look, actually there's the, the, have you seen the tombs of Absalom and yeah. and the other the tomb that's across there? So um, those in style are very similar to what's the carve some of the carved t- monuments at Petra. Sure, because those are actually carved straight out of the solid rock, right? And they're carved around just like that. So, so like if, it. So I can sense you're going Solomonic, but if, if that's true, what was he doing down there? Uh, so it says he had store cities in the desert ah. and, and that was within the area that he controlled. Yeah. Um, sure. and he even built in Syria and Lebanon. Yep. So he had this huge kingdom um, at that time. So then those would have been the store cities. Yeah. Interesting. I like so, it. and he had Tadmor in the desert. I mean, he had all these things that are um, there's a, 
a very um, sort of the drafted stone, margin stone temple uh, at Iraq Al-Amir in Jordan. Have you ever been there to that site? Um, uh, where is it at? I, so it's um, that is good with Jordan. west of Amman and That's maybe a little bit north. But it's actually in the region that used to be uh, the, the it's not Dan, but the maybe it's the tribes that were east of the Jordan, the so half tribe of Manasseh, I think Manasseh like in and Gad. Yeah, and Gad. So it's in one of those. Um, it's the site is you often will find it called Iraq Al Amir, which is the name of the town it's that's near it. And it's a whole um, Jordan temple. I I don't have a picture to share real quickly, okay. but I'm just looking it up here. It's it's one of the famous pictures of it is got like a, a lion that's nursing cubs, like yeah, a male lion that's I've nursing cubs. That. Yeah, I'm up into that site. Interesting. So the stones are huge. Right. And that like they don't look that big, but they're like six feet tall. You know, some of them probably 10 oh, feet long. They have margins. And they have margins. And you go, hmm. And, you know, supposedly some rich family built it in 200 BC or something. And you're like, look at these stones. What are you talking about? Like, rich people just couldn't, you know. Well, probably because they found a piece of pottery in there that somebody dropped as they were eating their bread yes. 200 BC. And so they said, well, it's 200 BC. Yes. So some of these things just get, you know, they just don't get attributed, right? Because they don't fit the, the current narratives. I'll have but to, if you, yeah. but oh. that if you ever go to Jordan, that is one of the sites. Um, and there's also near there, there's a cave site of, of cave dwellings that has Tobiah written on it, which would fit uh, the Tobiah the Ammonite um location from you know but it's not also that site neither that site is admitted to be as old as that that or that would be disputed but i i, I think there's just there's <laughs> a lot of evidence that you know just isn't allowed to be called you know the older thing it's called something younger and so then it it's dissociated from an understanding of the biblical time period but yeah. I, I think there's more, much more there that tells the story of, of, you know, fitting the a more biblical narrative than it does the later narratives. Well, I think it's a little bit like what happened with Israel Finkelstein or Finkelstein when he was executing yeah. uh, Megiddo. You know, he said, right. "Well, there's no evidence of, you know, Solomonic whatever." And uh, I forget the guy's name. Another archaeologist, famous one, uh, was like. You're in the wrong layer. Yes. So if you go in with the gate level and if you'd gone straight in, you would have probably found what you're looking for. But you're, you know, because you go up quite a bit in Megiddo, you're going mm -hmm. up quite a bit to get to the excavation layers they have, layers that they have. So it would make a lot of sense. But yeah, and, and that's true. That that when they look at the stratigraphic layers, there's a lot of interpretation that goes oh, yeah. in, in that. And if you mislabel a layer and so then you just don't consider in the evidence that's outside of the other layer, you know, in the other layers outside of that, um, then you can go, oh, no, see, there's no proof. And you're like, uh, yeah, how about this next layer down? <laughs> oh, no, 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 but that's the wrong layer. So that doesn't count.
Love it. Well, I'm going to definitely check that out sometime if I ever get. I haven't been in Jordan in a while. We we spend a week in Jordan. We had a had a had a guide, actually tremendous guy. Uh-huh. He said, "Give me a week." He said, "Give me one week. Come over and I'll take you." I'm like, "All right." So, because we were, were doing two three days, whatever. So we had a week. Uh-huh. We, we hit all the main stuff, which is interesting. But anyway. Yeah, so, but it's loaded. You could spend yeah. <laughs> same thing. You could spend months there. So very much so. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, yeah, appreciate it. Uh, it's been absolute joy and pleasure to talk to you and to learn some yeah. very interesting things. So likewise, uh, it'd be awesome. Maybe sometime. Do you ever do speaking engagements, et cetera? Um, yeah, I mean, I can. I, it's uh, everything has changed. I used to do that all the time. Like for engineering, I was traveling all the time. Um, and then now with the the way the world is just suddenly like you know, transform before our eyes. Yeah. Um, yeah. True. Who knows, but I'm, I'm willing to go, you know, I'll, I'll, I, I talk here locally if people want to talk about it. Mostly I'm just passionate about sharing what I think is right. So that other people get, you know, invigorated and, and ready. Yeah. I mean, because I think we're like, you know, it's knocking at the door and, and I'm, I don't think enough, of the church is awake to the fact that, you know, these are really getting um, perilous times and the kind of times that we were told to watch for. Yeah. Amen. Absolutely. So, amen. well, thank you so much for agreeing to do this and doing this. And I, I just thank you and bless you for doing it. So, no, thank you very much.